Chantel. And I'm Julia. And welcome to Unnecessary Inks, your local tipsy YA book cast. <laughs> oh gosh. I want to be more tipsy than I currently am right now. I'm surprised. I haven't I even ha- taken a sip of my drink, so. Oh, well, I mean, I had a cocktail with lunch because, you know, it's a Sunday and I was feeling wild Naturally. during my, like, <laughs> fake birthday lunch. Um, but it wore off really quickly. It was good, though. It was, like, a key lime something. <laughs> okay. Very tasty. It must I had it with have been sushi. good for you to forget what it's called. <laughs> It's called the Key Lime Moto, but I don't know what a moto is, so. I don't know much about cocktails, so. Yeah, no idea, but it was good. Um, but we're not talking about what I drank for lunch. Julia, what are you drinking, and how are you doing this week? I am drinking a gin and Coke. Uh, mm. Very, very simple. I realized that I have, like, no alcohol here, so that was my only option. <laughs> um... Uh, my week has been good. Um, I'm trying, I just completely blanked on everything that happened this week. But that was, that's basically how my week has gone. I really don't remember anything that happened. I went to the supermarket. I went to my internship. I handed in a group paper. These are all important things. (laughs) Yeah, I really don't remember anything else. Oh, I watched the, uh, Euro group group game um germany against uh portugal that was cool. fun fun i was very conflicted because one of my favorite contract players is on the portuguese national team and he got mm. put in in the last eight minutes of the game i wanted him to get a goal but i didn't want him to get a goal you know it's a struggle um, but he had some good players so at least he had some some time to shine um yeah that i wish that there was something more exciting that happened this week but that is truly happened how are you you (laughs) um i'm drinking a very mediocre columbia valley riesling um and my week was good it was uh busy per usual but got a lot of good work done had some good engagement with my stakeholders and stuff at work so overall pretty positive and and productive and looking forward to this upcoming week because I'm turning 26 which is insane um and I'm going wine tasting in Sonoma like a fancy Californian person um (laughs) on, on Friday so I'm excited for that but other than that nothing nothing too much notable other than I'm going to be a uh free like bird for the next for the rest of the summer pretty much because Skyla's going away um on Wednesday back on some vacations and then back home for a little while before she comes back for school so yep that's pretty much me (laughs) nothing super (laughs) crazy or exciting boring this week aren't we (laughs) we we are pretty boring but you know i would much prefer my boring lives um to the insanity that kate and august have to deal with on a daily basis because those monsters are no joke damn that was a good transition We should compile all of your your transitions. They're getting really good. Thanks. I I do try. (laughs) 
<laughs> make make some semblance of an effort. Um, but we're finally getting into the meat of the story uh, this week for this savage song by Victoria Schwab, and uh, it's it's heating up. Not a lot. It's like four chapters for their commute to school, but. <laughs> Truly, oh my gosh, this was the longest commute I think I've ever read about in my life. I was like, okay. It, we it get was it. a very long commute, but there was a school assembly in there too, so you know, there's something. <laughs> um, but we should tell the listeners, you know, all about this very lengthy commute to school yes. and all of the world building that we get during the commute because most of the commute is just used to explain what's going on around them. So, uh, today we're talking about The Savage Song by Victoria Schwab, like I said, specifically verse 1, chapters 2 through 5. Uh, so starting off with chapter 2, which is being told from the perspective of Kate Harker, she's being driven through North City by her driver Marcus, listening to some sort of punk music, and saying that she's not planning on leaving her father's side anytime soon, unlike the last times that she had to leave V-City. The first time, she was sent away for safety. The second time, she was kidnapped, I guess. (laughs) And the third time, she was sent away because of something that her mother did. Uh, She looks at a map on her tablet and talks about the divide of the city, which is called the seam, saying that uh, Flynn, who runs Southside, aka August's dad, isn't a bad man, but he is an idealist whose people are dying, and V-City doesn't need a moral code in her opinion, and that even though her father is a bad man, good and bad don't matter if you live in a city that's filled with monsters. She doesn't understand why her father let Flynn take half of the city originally, and we also learn that there is a spot in the scene called the Baron, um, which we learned because she's just, like, describing the map on her tablet, basically. There are three zones in the city, red, yellow, green, with red being in the middle. It's kind of set up like a target, uh, with red being in the direct center and being the most dangerous unless you are under Harker's protection. Past the city limits is the waste, which is basically a danger zone to the max, and then past the waste are all of the small communities on the periphery, like her old school with the nuns. Um, A horn on her commute, jolts her back to reality, and then she spends, like, a couple paragraphs talking about the gargoyle ornament that adorns the car, because her father wanted something monstrous as the hood ornament. So, really interesting commute so far. Um, Moving on to the second commute in Chapter (laughs) 3, we get August's perspective. So, he heads through South City, which is pretty run down, and we learn that the FTF, or the Flynn Task Force, patrols for humans committing crimes as well as monsters, because crimes are what create monsters. He heads towards the seam and the physical wall that separates the city and says it was only built because Harker wanted to take what the Flynn's had. We learn the Baron is apparently a full-on dead zone where Flynn had previously detonated a weapon, but August doesn't really believe that his dad would do that, though he doesn't know how else Harker would have agreed to a truce. So that's all kind of a mystery that hopefully we'll figure out later. He can't go through the normal barrier crossings because he isn't human and there are, like, scanners that check for that. So he uses a secret basement tunnel and comes out in the apartment of a person named Paris who lives in the north side but is an informant slash friend of Henry Flynn. 
She has a subway card for him and recognizes he doesn't have his violin, so tells him she has always wondered what his music sounds like, but he hopes that she never hears it. He goes out into North City and notices how beautiful it looks, which upsets him because it is all fake and his tally marks tingle. He heads towards the subway, noting the train. <laughs> my, my spidey senses are tingling. You're jumping to pop culture right now, Julia. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's just the way it was worded. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, he heads towards the subway, noting that the train is shut down in South City to keep people safe from the Corsi, which are a type of monster that flock to the dark. He heads into the subway, saying that the city was built on top of itself, so the subway area used to be city streets. He also says the subway in North City seems amazing to remind people to stay and to lure people over from the south. Uh, then on the subway, he sees a little girl who starts to sing a song about the different monsters, saying, Corsi are tied to the darkness, Malkai will drain your body dry, and Sunai will play a song and steal your soul. And the song makes August feel ill. Chapter 4. Kate goes through her father's personal drive on her tablet because she stole the access codes, naturally, and swipes through quote-unquote incidents, which her father's surveillance would pick up but would never make the news. The files are split into three categories, Monster, Human, and Genesis, and she watches through videos of Cor- a video of Corsine Malkai creation as her father hasn't caught a Sunai creation on film. She talks about how one of the, her teachers told her that violence breeds violence, and Kate agrees that violence breeds crime, that violence breeds crimes and horrible things leave aftershocks in their wake, specifically monsters. She says that is what the phenomenon was. Verity had always been the worst of the ten territories, but something just pushed it over the edge, and all the bad had to go somewhere. She arrives at Colton Academy, which is in the safer part of the city. She would prefer a school in the red zone, but most of them were shut down, and her father is determined to keep her safe. <laughs> of course, she wants to be somewhere dangerous. She's so she crazy. Gets <laughs> she, she gets out and tries to smooth her hair over some residual scars from a car accident, and notes she still has partial hearing loss from that incident. She reminisces, not really fondly, on when she got those injuries, and her father told her to hide them so people couldn't exploit her weaknesses and she still can't figure out what his weaknesses are. The driver tells her that her dad has a message for her saying that if she gets expelled, she has a one-way ticket out of the territory for good, and she says she is right where she wants to be. In chapter five, we have August reading The Republic while sitting on the subway and gets up to let an older woman sit while keeping his eyes down so the cameras don't notice him. A man jostles him, and August can see a shadow around him, a mark of previous violence, which in South City means August or Leo would get his name on a piece of paper to kill him, but which you can buy away in North City. The old woman starts telling personal things to August, and we learn that one of the things about the Sunai is that, the, is that people start just randomly being extra honest or confessing things around them, which August definitely does not relish. Once he gets to Colton Academy, he's surprised how normal and natural all the teenagers look, so different from the world he grew up in, and he wishes he would have eaten before he came, just like Leo told him to. Seriously. He, <laughs> he starts panicking a little, thinking about his birth. We learn he appeared as a 12-year-old boy because the middle school he was found in had a bunch of dead 12-year-olds. Great. 
He, I know. <laughs> he accidentally gets bumped by a guy looking for a fight, but then a guy named Colin pulls Jack off, the guy who started the fight, and chats with August, who introduces himself as Frederick or Freddy. He gets, he goes in to get registered, and they send him to get an ID card, but he sees all the kids getting pictures taken and skips it to go straight to the assembly. The principal is making all the new students stand in the assembly, and August is embarrassed, but feels invisible once Kate is introduced because everyone turns to stare at Harker's namesake. August flashes back to the conversation he had with Leo and Henry about the mission, how they want him to get close to her so they can potentially use her for leverage if needed. He stares at her, saying she looks like her dad, and she looks back at him with a rogue smile, which scares him a little. The headmaster reminds them to pick up their ID cards because they need them to access certain things in the school, including soundproof music rooms, which makes August perk up a little. He tries to get through the wave of students after the assembly, and Colin comes and rescues him, notes his tally marks, which he thinks are tattoos, and takes him on a shortcut to their English class. But just before he leaves the hallway, he sees Kate walking with the students parting around her. And that is the end of chapter five. So much information, yet very little happened. <laughs> this is like such a weird section. Um, I mean, I guess I can relate with having had a long commute <laughs> to work the past True. four years. <laughs> but oh my God, like we do, we get, I think, some good yeah the world i thought the world building i'm not world building i guess but basically august's point of view gave us some really good um i guess insight into how north city is run like just how they have this they put up this facade of everything being okay and then you have kate watching somebody die and become a monster or whatever Mm-hmm. which was really nice, all while they're both commuting to school. Yep. Which, <laughs> yeah. Not really how my work commutes went, but okay. <laughs> well, remember, Julie, they are completely normal teenagers. Oh, yeah, completely, 100%. She doesn't want to be at an academy which is in a red zone where she could potentially die. No way. <laughs> <laughs> I just... Uh, I, okay, I mean, I get why Victoria Schwab wrote these chapters the way that she did, because she's trying to catch you up to speed. Because, like, the prelude in chapter one, we were, like, an, a cold reader is so lost, because they don't have any context for the world that they're in, because you just get plopped right into the middle of a story, Right. So she's trying to now, like, backpedal and, like, give us that information. But especially in Chapter 2, like, from Kate's yeah. perspective, it's just, it feels like it's being done in such an inauthentic way. And it's very, I don't know, like, ham-fisted in the way that it's executed. Like, she's literally pulling up the map that we also have in the book on her tablet and, like, narrating the description of the map and how to read it. That's the whole chapter. <laughs> it would have almost made more sense for her to be, like, at home or something, and she happens to see this, or, I don't know, like, it's the, the latest... ...in... ...in that... 
has happened. Look through these files. Yeah. Pops up on her tablet. Um, then her going to... I appreciated it as somebody who really does not know much about this world or how it works. Right. Uh, would have appreciated it more, though, if it had been inserted in a way that's not during her commute to school. <laughs> right. Like, the context is great. The subtlety, not so much. No, it's not. It's kind of, it really, we talked about this last time, but it really does read like a movie. This is the sort of thing where you where you have very little time in a movie, and so they're inserting everything they can with the world building into these scenes, and it kind of feels awkward and mm-hmm. forced at times, but like there's no other way for them to do it without like continuing the plot. Versus a book where you usually have a lot more time to spread that stuff out. Right. Um, no, it's true. This would make a really good movie, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I literally didn't have any comments for chapter two other than the fact that it wasn't my favorite chapter. <laughs> Did on, you finish? They're doing fireworks now. Oh my <laughs> god, I'm going to murder someone. <laughs> Don't they know 4th of July is still, like, two weeks away? They, it's, like, clockwork around 8.30, 9pm every single night, except for, like, Mondays and Tuesdays. I was hoping they would hold off to, like, later. They, they've been doing it later around 9.30, the past couple days. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, it's fine. I th- listeners, hopefully you understand fireworks happen in the summer here we are life will go on beach towns yes yeah small towns also just like it happens <laughs> um okay what about chapter three how did you feel about chapter three um i like it i really like august he just mm-hmm. feels very authentic somehow without which is so funny because he's supposed to be a monster right um <laughs> <laughs> like compared to Kate who is an actual human he feels more like the human who is feeling like a range of emotions and like that anxiety of going on like public transport is so universal even though he's in a, a completely different situation from what we usually have to go through but it's like you're in a it's like when you go to a foreign country essentially okay so you like August because he feels very yeah he so human. I like August like August is not a monster or I mean he is not human <laughs> well that's the point is like he's a monster but he feels more human than Kate right um and that he the, his whole thing on the subway or whatever right it felt very relatable it, like you're going to a foreign country you don't really know how it works um, you don't want to look at anyone because you don't really know what the protocol is um, for social stuff um obviously for him very different context very different situation but like that i think is why i just was like august feels so human mm-hmm. and he's here worried that he's not coming across human enough which i thought was just so funny and then you have kate <laughs> who feels like a robot at times yeah it was not a robot necessarily just like she's not human either her intentions Um, and her range of emotions are not super relatable at this point in time no 
And my guess is it has something to do with the way that she was brought up and the environment that she was brought up in. Um, so I'm, ex- I'm hoping that we're going to get more character development around that. Because right now, it's just so funny how the, the roles are kind of switched. Yeah. Um, there's a l- I'm sure it was intentional. but Yes, there's, there's a lot of character development in this book. She, we just don't have the exposure to her yet that we need um, to like understand her as a character. It will come. It just takes time. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, I I really like the fantasy trope of, like, especially in urban fantasies, of, like, crime being the birthplace of monsters. Yeah, that is a really good trope. Like, I just think it's so fun, especially, right, because when we think of where monster novels and, like, monster stories come from anyways, like... It's all because there's so so many pieces of human history that people are either, like, ashamed of or, like, don't understand the horrors that, like, have actually happened. And so they'll try to use, like, vampires or werewolves or zombies as, like, an allegory to work through their feelings about tragedies or horrors that are actually caused by the human race on, like, a broader scale. And so I just... I love how this book is, like, taking that trope and just, like, running with it, where it's, like, you can't Mm -hmm. easily distinguish between, like, what is human and what is monster because they're interbred in a lot of ways. That's very true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um... Oh, I wanted to add as well before I forgot. I like her transitions from chapter to chapter. Not every chapter, but I think it's definitely the second to the third and the third to the fourth um, are the ones that I saw. But the second to the third, I thought it was so fun how it goes from Kate saying, no, real monsters were much worse. And -hmm. then you have August. It goes, August tipped his face toward the sun, savoring the late summer morning as he walked. <laughs> like this innocent little monster. <laughs> I just thought that was such a good transition. Yeah. No, it's so good. I uh, I, I really love the way that she writes. She clearly, it's like everything's very intentional, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Nothing's just thrown together. Right. Well, and that's the same thing with, like, going from three to four, where you have the little girl singing on the subway, and then Kate Mm -hmm. knows that same song and is, like, humming it to herself in the car. It's so good. Like, it's kind of cheesy, but at the same time, like, I don't, I didn't realize how much I actually appreciate these kinds of transitions, especially when you're changing point of views. Mm -hmm. Like, to have this kind of segue, it feels much smoother than just a jarring, like, one scene cut to another scene cut to another scene. Right. It makes everything feel interconnected even though their lives aren't that interconnected yet. Yes. Yeah. Because um, no, she agree. really could have put chapter two and four together and chapter three and five together. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that these have to be broken up, but at least she put in those transitions so it feels a little bit nicer. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I like it. Transitions are great. <laughs> Says the transition queen. I love transitions. <laughs> I keep, every time Skyla asked me to look over one of her essays this semester, I was like, I think we could probably make these transition sentences a little bit cleaner. And she'd glare at me and tell me to go away. And I was like, you asked for help. 
Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure my father did that to me, and I probably had the same reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Now I appreciate them, but at her age, I definitely would not have appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah, I probably still would have, but my mom never made an effort to review my essays, so. Yeah. There's that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's okay. (laughs) It, It was either, like, you were crying because your father was taking too much effort looking at your essays or your mother did no effort no in between nope this is the only two options yeah (laughs) oh god okay do you have anything else for chapter three uh no i think it's also just i want to add it's cool i think this is the first book that we have read together besides lee bardugo's books but like on the podcast um where i feel like we're at least i am (laughs) spending a lot more time looking at the way the author writes Mm -hmm. and I think it's so nice that it's a YA book and it feels like it's also has this like adult it it feels like it's written by an adult and not by an adult trying to be a teenager right I mean we did it a little bit with Holly Black but mostly it was me just being like I like this sentence yeah this sentence is cool Holly had some really good sentences. She did. Writing. She had some great metaphors and similes, too. Like, her her figurative language use was, was pretty spot on, but the plot portion of things couldn't use ah. so far. Yeah. But that's okay. We love her anyways. We, we It's hard not to love those books. It is, yeah. No, they're so just, ugh. Warm hug for me, even though there, there's nothing about them that is a warm hug, but they feel like a warm hug when no. I read them. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's because, like, even though they can be really, like, violent and intense, nothing is as violent and intense as the Poppy War, so I'm not, like, desensitized to everything. <laughs> so basically, everybody should read the Poppy War because after that, everything just feels normal. <laughs> I literally, I told you I've been rereading the Poppy War and I reread chapter 21 today. What, what happened? And I just started someone? sobbing in the bathroom. <laughs> um, chapter 21 is the one where they go to Golan Nice and they find Kita in Benka. Oh my god, I remember that chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Benka's description. That yep. broke my heart. Yeah, I, that's what I was sobbing at. Like the pregnant yeah. woman. Oh god. Yeah. No spoilers, obviously, not giving any details, but if you are a teenager listening to this podcast, do not read The Poppy War. (laughs) That is an adult book. Very adult. Even though it has teenagers in it, it is an adult book. (laughs) By the time they're in the war, they're no longer really teenagers, so... Well, mentally they're no longer teenagers, but age-wise they still are. Is it? Well, I guess Rin's like 19... Yeah. 18 or 19. But, like, 18. Alton isn't. None of the psych are. So. Eh. Yeah. Eh. Teen-ish. Teen-adjacent. But, Dad, don't read it if you're a teenager. It is very graphic, oh. very dark, and it will mess you up. Um, nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, though. No. Um, okay. Want to get your perspective, because you've obviously talked about this a, a lot more than I have in, like, your family, because um, my family just doesn't talk about it <laughs> but did the seam the wall for the seam give you berlin wall vibes because i was getting berlin yes. wall vibes 
Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that because I was, I literally have this in my notes. I was like, I don't know if I really want to bring it up because it's kind of like a sensitive, I mean, it's not a sensitive topic, but it just feels somehow wrong sometimes to compare stuff like that to books like this. But that is 100% the vibes I was getting. And it's like ideeing to get across, right? And mm-hmm. it, it's a literal wall. Um, it's hard not to draw those comparisons and like the way that people would get in and out um of one side and the other side would be in these like kind of safe houses right Mm -hmm. in the same way that paris is this quote-unquote spy for the south right um and you had that as well right the the secret tunnels and like the ways to cross but they were like super risky um and it feels like that here too i mean it, it kind of feels like that's, in modern history, what she probably drew inspiration from. Especially when you think, like, to the fact that the ideals of the two different sides of the city are so different, yet they're fighting for the same thing, and the people are the same people. Like, it just gives you very similar vibes, even yeah. though it's obviously a completely different story. But, as we know, many fantasy books are based off of periods of human tragedy. So, not a surprise if she would have used that as inspiration for the scene. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Um, um, well, and then you also have this kind of no man's land. It's not as extensive, mm-hmm. um, but it was that plot of land that August was noting yeah yeah where there used to be something there and then now it's nothing and people talk about seeing the dead bodies still but even though they're not there I don't know it gave me a similar vibe definitely that that in-between space Mm -hmm. no for sure it's oh crazy um I also really loved in the kind of the first two chapters just getting Kate and August's perspective on their own fathers and, like, the sides that they both align themselves to because they both feel like they're so right and justified in the cause that they're fighting for, even though we know that they're both probably wrong. Like, this definitely doesn't feel like it's being set up to be a story of an absolute morality correct way of doing something right like everyone is probably in the wrong in how they're choosing to handle it but these two kids are like so gung-ho supportive of whatever their fathers are choosing to do and then so villainizing of the person on the other side of the wall yeah it's just interesting flipping back and forth so rapidly between those two perspectives it's very almost (laughs) I'm getting into pop culture again, but uh, <laughs> it gives me very Montague Capulet vibe. I was going to say Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, <laughs> where neither side is really, as far as we know at least, correct. They're both kind of dumb. Right. And they both just want control and power in um, this area of land. Right. Um, yeah, and then you have the two heirs or whatever Mm -hmm. um (laughs) exactly romeo and julia august and kate so that'll be interesting to see how they react i'm very excited to have their first interaction um 
I, I feel like they're say, not going to get along, but <laughs> we'll see. Not love at first sight. <laughs> Definitely not love at first sight. I will say I feel like if we're going to continue to draw parallels to Romeo and Juliet, we're probably going to be more akin to drawing parallels to Roma and Juliet from These Violent mm. Delights. That's that. <laughs> Chloe Gong already because Kate her and Juliet, <laughs> yeah, are like both vicious little crazy women, yes. and I love that about them. But they have a softness to them that they don't let anybody see. Yes, that's true. Sorry, we're pop culturing, but I feel like this is a pop culture thing that's going to probably come up a lot. So it definitely is a hundred percent. Yeah, I already see because Roma was soft. In, yeah, he was uh, a soft boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Similar to what I'm getting from August versus Juliet, who is much, much more thirsty for blood. She's like, oh, you want me to slit someone's throat? Cool, I got the perfect tool to do it. Let's go. Yeah, that is 100% Kate. And even Juliet, I'm, that's why I'm excited for the these the second installment. Our violent ends, yeah. Our violent ends, yeah. Is to see if she will kind of soften a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that I'm really excited to see if Kate softens a bit more as the story goes along. Yeah. Um, which I'm expecting because you can't sustainably have a character like this for <laughs> this angry. It's gonna be a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. The idea of the city of North City, like kind of being built on top of itself, will always remind me of Seattle because, like, that's the whole thing with the Seattle Underground is like they had to build completely over it but you can still like go and tour the seattle underground and there are still some like businesses there but it's just not the city that it once was um and so i didn't know that yeah i mean it's just the seattle underground part like it's not like there's two seattles like one on top and one underneath (laughs) the ground but it's a whole section of seattle it's called the seattle underground and you can like tour it um and I, I forget already because I've never toured it, but um, I think it either, like, something had flooded, which is why they had to build on top of it, or there was a fire. One of those two things. It's closer to the water, so I'm guessing the flooding, but um, it's still a place that you can go tour. Um, and this is kind of a pop culture reference, but they tore it in the book Written in the Stars by Alexandria Bellafleur, which is a very cute, like, romance novel that's a sapphic, very loose Pride and Prejudice retelling that's set in Seattle. Um, and I read that pretty recently, and so, like, hearing the way that August was describing this <laughs> and reading that <laughs> book, I'm like, home, Seattle, yes! This is, Aww. I love this. So that was my little warm contribution about home for the day uh and then can we just talk about the fact that that little song that that girl sang was dark it was what very dark. kind of nursery rhymes are they teaching the children it's also interesting to me because it kind of brings in the idea that like kids know a lot more than adults do like they're much more observant um mm-hmm. It's as if she, like, basically knew that August Saw is not August. human. Yeah. Um, which is probably why she started singing that particular song. Like, why else is she going to sing that on the subway so eerily? I don't um, know. I'm wondering, like, 
I think it's a great interpretation of, like, her sensing something in August because that's something that we see a lot in literature of, like, the little kid, well, and in movies, right? Like, the little kid noticing the person that's supposed to be invisible or the superhero flying past or, like, whatever it may be. Um, the little, there's always a little kid with, like, an ice cream cone that always yeah. notices the person that the adults completely ignore. Um, so I think that that's totally fair. I also think it could potentially be a compelling conversation about the kinds of nursery rhymes that children learn. <laughs> where we... The posy. Seriously, ring around the posy. <laughs> like, where we have no idea what the songs are actually about and we sing them with so much joy and glee and we're always smiling and like la di da da and we're singing about like the plague and death and kids have no idea like what the stuff they're talking about actually is i mean the words here were a lot clearer so i think your interpretation is probably more correct um but i just i don't know it reminded me of all the like crazy childhood songs that we thought were just, like, fun nursery rhymes and actually have much more sinister orange. (laughs) It's true, though. And you kind of, that, it's that balance of, like, sensitivity, like, being, like, the kid is desensitized, maybe, to the real meaning of this song while observing um, August and noticing that that he doesn't fit in with the rest of the humans, and so she just thinks of the song as, like, oh, like, I kind of relate it to you. Yeah. Versus the adult, who's probably sensitive to what that song means, but isn't right. going to observe the people around them. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's been something very interesting that I've been seeing, especially since I've become a parent of a child. <laughs> like, there, I can't tell you the number of times that we'll be listening to a song on the radio where she'll be like, oh, Chantal, I want you to hear the song that I really like, and I'll listen to it, and I'll listen to the lyrics, and I'll be like, what? kind of dirty nonsense child are you listening to this song is so inappropriate for your age she's like what are you talking about and I'm like I'll tell her I'm like you need to stop singing along under your breath and just listen to the lyrics and she'll listen to the lyrics and immediately when I make her focus on what the words are saying she like her face drops in horror and she's like I've been singing along to that and she gets so embarrassed because it's way dirtier than like something she feels comfortable talking about but she has no idea because it's just like on the radio and she just like bops along um and i think we have a habit yeah. of doing that and not oh, paying attention to lyrics and songs so um also just like in general i'm really gonna be okay if we stop having creepy little girls smile while they sing songs i know like i'm I, good i don't <laughs> get that but like okay first of all uh little girls are very oh my gosh fireworks are going <laughs> wild right now oh my Come on. <laughs> this is literally next door i can see them i feel like i'm right there with you <laughs> oh my gosh I get it. Everyone's happy it's summertime. Tomorrow's the first day of summer. Woo! <laughs> uh, yeah, this wow. It's really next door. Extra. Is, it's across the street from me. Oh my god. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, little girls are cute. They're not creepy. We don't need them to be staring creepily at strangers in movies and books. Like, we got enough from The Shining. The Shining was it. We're done. Yes. No more. We're good. We're good. We, we can move on now. 
Okay, that's all I had for for chapter three. What do you have for chapter four? Um. Oh my gosh, that's the one. That's the chapter where she's watching the video of the guy getting beaten. The way that it's described, I had to reread that passage a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like what shadows basically coming out of the corners and yeah. The minute that the guy who was in this fight leaves the light, he's surrounded in darkness, he gets attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, <laughs> again, the Poppy War desensitized me to the description of the blood splattering in the light. Yep, whatever. <laughs> but it's also Kate's apparent lack of um, a... Uh, Emotional response. response. Exactly. Like, she doesn't have much to it. She basically just gets pulled out of it because she arrives at the academy. Mm -hmm. Um, I would... That's a lot for a teenager to handle. (laughs) So, like, clearly she has seen a lot of this stuff before. Why does she have to watch more of it? I don't know. Um, Just to prove that she can hack into her dad's stuff. (laughs) I mean, I guess so. That would be a very teenage thing to do. Would love to know how she got those access codes, but I won't question it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot get over the fact that she would rather be in a red zone. <laughs> I know! The most dangerous zone to go to school. Like, just let yourself go to school and then maybe take a field trip to the red zone or something if that's really what you want. Like, what's the point of being in a school in the red zone? Um, yeah. And it sounds like she was, what, kidnapped at one point? Because she was saying um, she's left three times. The first was because she was uh, sent away. The second was because she was, like... Kidnapped. I don't think she... Yeah, I guess it was kidnapped. And then the third was because of her mother being banished. Yeah. Um, which I would love to know more about, but I'm, I'm getting the vibe that I'm not going to learn about that for a little bit, <laughs> which was fine. Um... So, clearly, like, she's not going to be allowed into a school in the red zone because she's already been kidnapped once. I'm sure her mother doesn't want to see her kidnapped again. <laughs> also, why would she risk getting kidnapped and then she's out of the territory again? And then she's risking being allowed back into the tor- territory. So, I, I think... Again, I don't want to spoil anything, but we don't have enough details about her kidnapping yet to speculate on, like how that shaped her perspective of the city. So mm-hmm. we will get more details about this supposed kidnapping. Um, it's not what you think it is. Oh, okay. I don't really know what I think of it. think it is anyway. Well, it's not whatever that is. <laughs> Oh, okay. Not like it's, it's we're not we're not turning into like a Liam Neeson taken situation here. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> so something happens and she was taken away from the territory. Yeah, for the second time. Okay. Well, from the city. She's she's I think she stayed in Verity the entire time. Um, but she's been taken out of V City three times. Okay. Yeah. So I won't speculate too much on that cuz I don't think that's going to lead me anywhere. Um, but, okay. yeah, um, I think that's all I had for chapter four. <laughs> Kate has such a, like, I don't want to say stunted way of speaking, but very, like, compared to the way that August p- 
point of view comes across. Like, August has a much more flowy... He's melodic. Yeah, exactly. Versus when we were reading Kate's, it's just much more, like, matter-of-fact. Mm-hmm. She's taking in things... She's literally, like, taking in her surroundings as if they are facts. Um, and, like, spitting yep. them back at us. Yep. Um, which is so... I really like that, um kind of comparison of the two characters well it's nice because again even though we're not getting fully in their brains we're getting enough from the third person limited narration that like you're still seeing the world as how they see it and how they like interpret it and august's whole thing is music like we already know his whole thing is music so of course the way he sees the world is in melody and harmony and so he Mm -hmm. talks that way too and kate is just a dagger she's like jude (laughs) in that way right like she's yeah she's just a dagger that is gonna get stabbed into something repeatedly over and over until you understand that you're dead (laughs) yeah and the writing style matches exactly i i like it i like it a lot i like the dichotomy it's really nice Mm mm-hmm What are your thoughts on chapter four? Okay, so also talking about, like, the schools in the red zones and then, like, the schools in the green zones, the idea of schools being closed in the red zone, which Kate even calls the inner city, but having these, like, idyllic private academies with, like, lush greenery out in the green zone or the suburbs, I think was just a really interesting commentary on the whole, like, institution of suburbanization. Um, And given everyone that lives in North City can afford to be there, it makes sense that there's not a lot of, like, people gathered in the inner city, the place where there's supposed risk, and they've all flocked to the green spots where they can, like, flaunt their wealth and continue to be safe because that's the whole point of the north side right like being able to flaunt your wealth Mm -hmm. for safety um and i just think that it provides i've been reading a lot of books on like housing policy for the last like my god (laughs) 100 years in the united states but it's just really interesting because like if we think about how housing policy has been shaped for the last hundred years, like, this idea of suburbanization was for white people to move out of the cities and create these, like, all-white, perfect suburbs where black people could not infiltrate, right? Mm, Or in this case, the monsters won't be able to get them. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's a really interesting parallel. Now, correct? No. (laughs) Um, Definitely not probably not something that we should be drawing inspiration from in writing stories if you're a white woman but I do think that there's an interesting parallel in how housing policy has been shaped in the United States in the last hundred years because a lot of racist people did very similar things yeah especially in like the 40s and the 50s and the 60s yeah the 40s 50s 60s great for fashion and music not so much for racial policies or gender policies that too (laughs) so 
Yeah, a lot of, this is why I don't read a lot of urban fantasy, because I start comparing the, all the urban aspects to, like, our real world, uh, and it it messes with me, so I, I apologize if I start getting really political with this book, but here we are. <laughs> um, so I just thought that that was, anyways, really interesting parallel. The thing that her dad says to her, he says, every weakness exposes flesh, and flesh invites a knife. Like, I'm sorry, what a manipulative, insane thing to say to a 12-year-old. I know. What the hell? It really, I feel like, is a common theme, though, in a lot of books to have this, like, you cannot show weaknesses, etc., etc., which is why I always appreciate when you have books or even movies where the emphasis is on showing weakness so that your Mm -hmm. opponents don't, like, with the Hunger Games... Um, you would have a couple people in the Hunger Games who pretended they were super weak so that nobody mm-hmm. paid attention to them and then they came out on top. Um, because it's such a, like, cliche thing to be like, don't show weaknesses. If you show weaknesses, they're going to get you. But, right. like, it is true. Like, it, it's like in high school, right? Like, if you show weaknesses in the high school, uh, the zoo that is high school, you know, I'm <laughs> getting mean girls here, but, like... <laughs> The animals are gonna come after you. Right. <laughs> You're at the, the lowest of the food chain. Yeah. Um, well, and it, the thing that, like, bothers me is so many times... So, like, here she has physical weaknesses, and so, like, I can understand... Don't agree with, but I can understand the, like, thing that her father's saying to, like, hide these weaknesses so people can't exploit yeah. them. Um, like, you don't want people to know that you can't hear things. You don't want people to know that you've been in an accident. Like, keep those things secret. But there's such a fine line between that and hiding your emotions and your emotions becoming (laughs) a weakness. And I think Kate, because again, if you're telling this to a 12-year-old, there's probably another comment somewhere down the line that paints emotions as a weakness and then this little 12 year old girl to make her daddy proud is going to start hiding all of her emotions and turn into this psychotic robot that we meet right now that's a very also anti-feminine feminist kind of thing is to be like women can't show emotions because either they otherwise will come off too emotional and therefore they are weak when in actuality our emotions are what make us strong so anyone that says that can fuck right off you know why there's so many women in ux because ux requires empathy and guess what women are emotional and have higher empathy yes love it um and then just (laughs) last comment on this chapter but we did get a little bit of world building in this chapter other than just the v city stuff i know we talked about this last week so we did get confirmation in this chapter that there are 10 territories in the world that we're in um and verity is just one of those territories and seemingly the worst one so i don't know what that means we don't yet know if there's monsters or like similar living situations in the other territories if the, the other territories were just like holy hell, stay away from us. Yeah. (laughs) Which I find more likely. I don't remember, um, but I find that more likely. (laughs) I would not be surprised. Um, Very divergent in that way. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I'm curious to know more about, like, what's going on in these other territories and if it's more divergent-y or if it's more Hunger Games-y. 
that that's all I had point. for chapter four. Chapter five. Um. Oh my gosh, I feel like I kind of hope that this Colton guy um, sticks around, but I'm also kind of worried. <laughs> like I don't quite know what to think of him. Colin, he, I appreciate Col- Colton. Colton's the name of the school. Colin. Oh, sorry. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. They need to get different names. <laughs> um, I don't do well with close names. You don't do um, well with generic white boy names? Come on, Julia. I don't. <laughs> um, Colin. Colton, Colin. <laughs> Colin, um, I really don't know what to think of him. But I always, I have a soft spot in any high school, like, kind of rom-com thing, right? Where you have a new kid, and then you have this kid that comes up and, like, tries to help them out and kind of brings them into their little circle. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of worried that Colin is just going to be too aggressive with August, and August Mm. is clearly very introverted. Um, I'm anxious. And, like, the fact that he was so forward, he was like, oh, we have English class together, (laughs) woohoo, was kind of a lot, even for me reading that. I was like, I I don't know what I would have thought of him, but, like, it's hard. I just have a soft spot. I know. I don't know. Okay, but put it this way. Have we ever met a Colin that we didn't like? No. I don't, I cannot think of a Colin in literature or in a movie. That's true. That I don't like. Maybe Colin from Love Actually. Not my favorite. Oh my gosh. Well, but he has, he's He's fine. He's just not my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But otherwise, Um, like, I'm trying to think of other Colins. Colin, King Arthur's descendant. Mm-hmm. from the concealed we love him he's like our favorite character <laughs> other than I'm, I'm having like yeah i'm thinking of colin firth now <laughs> I'm like, oh well adore colin firth uh colin, colin morgan Fa- colin farrell um <laughs> uh, where the collins are there There's a, it's a very generic white boy name but they're always british colin. and so we love them i know uh, SNL Colin Jost, he, he kind of, mm. I don't know. He's kind of like Colin from Love, actually, where he's like, he's okay. <laughs> you can I take him or leave him. him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, if he's there, he's there. That kind of thing. So maybe this Colin will be kind of like Colin, that side of Colin's. <laughs> the, the mid-level Colin. Exactly. <laughs> I'm rooting for him, though. I, okay. I appreciate him so far. Fair. Um... Yeah, the fact that August doesn't get his ID card gave me so much so much anxiety. I don't know if it's because I'm German and I have to, like, follow the rules precisely. Like, <laughs> also because you're a Virgo. Like, and a Virgo. You put those two together and it's a deadly combination. <laughs> but, like, I was like, oh, my God, just get your ID. Like, you're going to look even weirder if you don't get your ID card. <laughs> Everyone needs, like, even, like... Before all your world came into being, everyone had to have ID cards to be around their schools. Oh, got it. Um, So this is like a real cliffhanger for you that we like cut off in this chapter. Yes. I'm (laughs) waiting for him to get his ID card. (laughs) It's stressing me out unnecessarily. (laughs) It's not even that big of a deal. (laughs) 
but it is to me. (laughs) Yeah. I get that. It's, I understand. Um, and then I, that, like, kind of moments between Kate and August also stressed me out because I'm now paranoid that Kate knows who August is. Like, I know that August is supposed to be very confidential. Nobody really knows about him. Mm-hmm. But I'm worried <laughs> that maybe somehow Kate's father has insider information. Or maybe even Kate realizes that it's kind of weird that this guy who maybe doesn't completely look human, if you look closely at him, because I'm sure she's a very observant person, mm-hmm. um is now starting on the same day that she is starting. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me being paranoid. (laughs) Well, it's not like they were the only two new students. There were two new sophomores, too. But he has said that if he's not careful, he will not come across as human. Right. Um, So that's what kind of worries me a bit. I think that's definitely a worry to carry forward. I don't think a look in an assembly is enough to tip (laughs) her off. (laughs) But why did they look at each other? I mean, I know why August is looking at Kate, but why did Kate look at him? Like, she has no reason to look at him. He was standing up. Yeah, but she, like, probably does not give a shit about anyone else in that school but her. No, but, like, she also probably... Kate likes power. Like, her father likes power, and so she wants to be aware of potential... Threats. Stare down. <laughs> she wants to be aware of all potential threats, support systems, just what's going on around her, right? Okay. Yeah. Because how else that. is she going to own this school? That is true. She has to act like Harker's daughter if she wants people to respect her like Harker's daughter. You have a point. I guess I'm just paranoid. It's I'm paranoid I'm, about everyone. I'm not disagreeing that it's a fair thing to be paranoid about. It's a it's the same paranoia that August has. So yeah. it's totally it's fair. coming across to me now. <laughs> um, my last thing for chapter five was the way that he introduces himself to Colin. He's like, "My name's Frederick, but you can call me Freddie." And then like his inner thoughts are just like, "Well, no one's actually called me that." But <laughs> I thought it was so cute. <laughs> I appreciated that. It was, like, a nice little comedic bit in there. (laughs) August is really funny. I am really looking forward to more of his inner monologue case. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. I think I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, I think you will, too. I I enjoy August a lot. Um, (laughs) What are your thoughts? Okay, I just want to know who casually reads Plato on the subway. (laughs) I just completely... (laughs) glaze over that yeah you're right like <laughs> is that a normal thing that teenagers do <laughs> i mean clearly he have, have you ever seen going anyone off about t.s Eliot in the other chapter <laughs> right but there's a big difference between t.s Eliot yeah, and plato <laughs> like just like straight out whipping out the republic on the subway i was just what um He's a special breed. That's that's what I have to say about August. I completely not related to that. But again, going back to my commentary on urban politics, uh, I find it really interesting, like, how they have 
this dichotomy and violence between the humans and the monsters um, and how it's treated differently in North City versus in South Mm -hmm. City. All of the violence is kind of treated the same. Um, Where August is talking about, like, the man's shadow on the subway, right? And, like, how in South City where every right, it's more of, like, a communistic-style situation, August would be sent to kill him, or Leo would be sent to kill him, because he had done bad. Regardless of whether or not a monster had been created, like, he had done bad, there was sin, and they would have been the arbiters of justice in that situation. But in North City, he can pay to get away with these crimes. Yeah. And I just, again, think it's really interesting commentary on the criminal justice system in today's society because the wealthy can continue to pay to get themselves out of situations even if they've done absolutely horrible things and that is why so much white collar crime goes unpunished even though that is the crime that harms society the most go off (laughs) i have a lot of problems no you are right I'm taking this book way too seriously. Victoria Shaw probably did not mean to put all of this, like, extra stuff No, but I think that they are good parallels to draw on, because I wouldn't be surprised if that's what she had in mind while she was writing them. Um, Because I think that's the thing that people always forget about YA, is it's a much more complex genre than people give it credit for. Um, Because teenagers can understand A ridiculous commentary on where we are as a society and very, very relevant. Right. (laughs) And it's disguised as just this, like, post-apocalyptic trilogy with, like, just fun characters and you have everyone (laughs) fighting to the death. (laughs) But it's Mm -hmm. a lot more than that. It's so much more than that. Yeah. I appreciate your commentary. (laughs) It will keep coming, I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> Especially if I pick up any more new nonfiction books in the next two <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, I really feel like Henry and Emily should have just, like, socialized August a little bit more before sending basically a six-year-old into high school. Yeah. That seems like a lot of <laughs> under-preparation on their part. I, I agree. He had, like, a panic attack walking into school. Like. But, like, how else are you, how are you really going to socialize a kid who's, like, technically is five years old, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe introduce him to one teenager that isn't a monster before sending him to a giant campus of teenagers. But are there any humans in South City? Yeah, there's tons of humans. Oh, okay, never mind. There's like oh, it's so just there. It's just their little family is all monsters. I see. Well, just the three of them, just Elsa, Leo, and August. But they live in that big compound that has like sixty thousand people. So there's like sixty thousand people that are in the task force. But there are twenty four million people that live in this city. They cannot all live on the north side. Okay. There's a bunch of poor and people that live on the So they, you're side. right. They could have, they could have socialized a bit more. But it yeah. sounds like it was very last minute, so it was the vibe I'm getting. I get that, but they had, like, six days. Like, let them talk to some teenagers or something. Yeah. I don't know. It was just little poor kid. It's a, high school's a savage place for a six-year-old. I'm just saying. It really is. 
Um, and then I just, we were kind of talking about this earlier, but my last comment is I just really love how August sees and hears the world, how, like, everything is a discordant symphony, and he sits there and tries to parse out, like, the individual strains of music and, like, try to listen to the individual components of what's going on around him, um, because he's so lost and so confused, and so the only thing that he knows how to do is to try to turn it into something that he understands, which is music. And I just think that's really beautiful. I just, ugh, I yeah. love reading about it. <laughs> I like it, too. Um, should we get into pop culture? Yes, I think that we should. I'm All pulling right. up my notes. Okay, I didn't have anything for two. I only have stuff for three and four. So you go. Okay, give me two seconds. I'm typing out a thought. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I had a couple for two. Honestly, it's probably the first one's really not even pop culture. And again, I need to stop doing this, but... <laughs> When Kate was going on her little diatribe about, like, good and bad and how there is no good and bad in this city, there's only, like, the people that have the power to keep the monsters at bay and, like, how that's the most important thing and it doesn't matter the way you get to that. Um, I was just, the way she was describing everything, I was getting real Nietzsche vibes. Okay. Have you ever studied Nietzsche? <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I'm not going to go into a whole, like, philosophy lesson. Also, it's been a really long time since I've read Nietzsche, so I probably shouldn't. And did you read that, much. like, in your German classes, or did you read it in the German school? Definitely not the German school. Stufetzai would not have been able to do Nietzsche. <laughs> well, definitely, like, I think Stufetzai probably. I think that they, I'm pretty sure that they read it, because I remember Corinne, I think, was reading it. I don't remember. Anyway, mm. sorry, irrelevant. Well, she was, wasn't she Stufa Fia? Oh. Yeah, so maybe his, his They probably were. were, yeah. Okay. Um, that would make sense. I, I had a, a, a class in the German department that was cross-listed with the philosophy department that taught Nietzsche. It was being taught by a German professor, but the class was in English. And when I say German oh. professor, I mean, like, professor in the German department. Um, okay. But it was taught in English. Every so often, I'd read German passages of the same English text to give me, like, the context of what was being said in the original German. But my German has never been good enough to read Nietzsche. Because it's so convoluted. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to understand in English, let alone German. Um, but there was a whole... Um, series of thoughts that he had and I don't I think it was like close to the time that he started doing like the god is dead stuff um but it wasn't in Zarathustra. I can't remember the name of the thing Zarathustra, I think is what it's called which is where he actually does god is dead um but he had a whole nother thing about sort of like good and bad good and evil not being like how society was actually divided but it's really more just like powerful and weak um 
and a lot of his ideals were corrupted to support Nazi ideals, um, but they misinterpreted what he was actually trying to talk about. And I think another, that's actually pop culture, misinterpretation of Nietzsche, but that is kind of used commonly, is in the first Harry Potter movie, when Voldemort is having that conversation with Harry at the Mirror of Erised, and he said, there is no good and evil, there is only power, and those too weak to seek it. Hmm. And so when Kate was having her, like, little inner monologue about, like, they're not being good and bad, and she knows her dad is probably a bad guy, but bad is what the city needs to keep everyone safe, um, it was just reminding me a lot of all of that. Nice. Dark, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, keeping with my theme of darkness, uh, it makes me sad that gargoyles are demonized in books and history in general. Like, the, the gargoyle that was on the car. Like, I don't know. Every time someone mentions gargoyles, I never picture, like, the dark, grotesque things. I just picture the little funny gargoyles in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> They're so funny and so cute, and they're a huge part of the lifeblood of that movie, and I just, I want that car ornament to be like that. Like, they may not be pretty, but they're still fun. But traditionally, that's not what gargoyles represent. Yeah, I know. They're like demon (laughs) bat things, I get it. Justice for gargoyles? Yeah, exactly. Justice for gargoyles. Just because they're ugly, just like Quasimodo, does not mean they aren't worthwhile. And lovable. Okay. <laughs> That's what I had for chapter two. Wait, did you say you didn't have anything for chapter three or you did have something? I did for not. Chapter? I didn't okay. have anything for chapter two. Chapter three. I have I have something for chapter three. Okay, go ahead. Um it's when August is talking about um the city and basically saying how like they're hiding all of its the flaws of the city and pretending everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. The f- my initial instinct was that it reminded remind me a bit of The Giver by Lois Lowry, where everything feels very utopian and yeah. so everyone's happy and no one really questions um, the protocols. You just mm-hmm. kind of go along with it. Um, but then on the other end, you kind of have Fahrenheit 451, um, where and I think this was from um, going back to what Kate was saying in, in, is it the next chapter? I don't remember. But um, kind of tying both of them together mm-hmm. where she's saying like these video footage, the video footage of um, these monsters being born would never be put in the news. It's the same right. kind of idea with four, Fahrenheit 451 where you're burning the darker parts of the society because everybody should be happy and they shouldn't know about these flaws. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that was my pop culture. <laughs> Love it. Amazing. Um, okay. The description, well, just, like, the general talking about, like, the crimes creating the monsters. Obviously, this is a trope that's used a lot. Um, I'm sure, I don't read a lot of urban fantasy, but, like, I, and or monster novels, but, like, I know this is a trope that's used a lot. But recently, of things that we've read... It just reminded me a lot of the damn naughty, especially because it's, like, these people doing, like, horrible things, like, mm-hmm. murder or assault or whatever, and then Morgana would come and she'd be like, let me make something absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was very reminded of the damn naughty from that. 
the scanners that they have to go through to, like, get into it, like, in between the cross, but in between the walls, um, reminded me of the new episode of Loki, because Loki has started airing on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> or maybe it was the first episode, sorry, the first episode of Loki. He ends up in this place called the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, and they ask him to walk through a scanner, and he's like, what is it scanning for? And they're like, oh, well, it's just going to incinerate you if you're a robot. But if you're not a robot, it's fine. And then he sits there and has an existential crisis about whether or not he's a robot, because how would he know if he was a robot? <laughs> That's funny. And it just reminded me of that with, like, these body scanners that could cause, like, serious problems just based on, like, who you are. Um, and then anytime someone uses a secret tunnel, which August uses in Chapter 3... Um, my brain just starts singing that song from Avatar. <laughs> the, like, secret tunnel, secret tunnel. You know what I'm talking about? No. Well. <laughs> Keep going, though. No. <laughs> That's all I remember. I just remember the secret tunnel part. It's the chorus. Basically, it's a story about these two lovers that would use the secret tunnel to, like, meet up or something. Um, and this, like, one random guy sings it in this one random episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. But the secret tunnel song has been stuck in my head for, like, 15 years now, I swear. And uh, I tie it back to everything related to secret tunnels now. So, reminded me of the secret tunnel song. Also reminded me of this secret tunnel that has a bunch of hidden items that would connect sort of, like, two cities, sort of, in Pokemon. Um, And you'd have to go, like, in this shady secret tunnel and there'd sometimes be like team rocket people there that you'd have to fight Mm. um uh, also to get in our harry potter reference for the evening it kind of is like abacorts tunnel um Mm -hmm. hogwarts Mm -hmm. no that's good i like that i didn't think of that um, we and mentioned this. Build our Harry Potter. Amazing. <laughs> I have I have some coming. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, the the tally marks. I had the exact same thought you had that they were like his spidey senses. <laughs> like I, but I'm interested if it's actually like a thing. Like, can, can he sense if he's like in an unsafe situation, or does he sense that the territory around him is a veneer? Like, what do these spidey senses do? <laughs> Oh, I took it more as just, like, a metaphorical, like, uh, they're burning into his skin kind of thing and reminding him who he really is. Oh, well, that's nice sounding. I want superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm just reading over it. I should be reading into it. <laughs> who knows? We'll find out, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One way or the other. Um, Okay. The idea of having the old, boarded-up, abandoned subway stations, I love. This reminds me so much, I don't know if you ever read these books as a kid, um, but the Pendragon, the Bobby Pendragon books. No. Did you ever read those? Okay, so it's the series, it's the series of ten books by this person, DJ McHale. I think her name is Donna, but it may also be a man, I honestly couldn't tell you um but these books came out ages ago and I read them as a kid growing up and like reread them I don't know like a year or two ago and basically there are 
these people called travelers, and they can, like, time travel to, like, different dimensions, and they have to, like, protect the different dimensions and, like, planets and stuff. It's, like, a kid's sci-fi story. And Mm -hmm. to do the time traveling, they use these things called flumes. But they don't want average people to discover the flumes. They want them to be protected. So the flumes are in, like, very out-of-the-way, unnoticeable places. And the main flume that you use in the book series is the flume on Second Earth, um, which is Bobby's home territory, and Bobby's our protagonist. And it's in an abandoned subway station that is boarded up in the Bronx, and he has to, like, go in there to, like, be able to do his time traveling. But sometimes there are, like, scary monsters that he has to fight if the villain of the story <laughs> has left monsters behind to try to prevent him from using the flume. So, like, the whole idea of having monsters in abandoned subway stations reminded me a lot of Pendragon. Also, the idea of, like, the city being built on top of itself. That's a whole thing in Third Earth, which is one of the territories in that book series, so reminded me of that, too. All right. Great book series. I highly recommend everyone reads it. I (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed it. it. I read a lot of books as a child. (laughs) Way too many, probably, but it's, it's a good book series. I enjoy it. I think I own all of the books at this point on kindle um maybe i'll go into half price books and see if i can find actual copies of them um that's all i had for chapter three what about chapter four chapter four i had one um it's uh when she's looking at the video of the monster monsters i didn't quite get that coming Mm -hmm. out of the shadows yep and attacking the guy as soon as he leaves the safety of the street lamp light um gave me very merlin vibes i think it's in the second to last season i think it's the season finale i do there's a name for them and i am completely blanking but it's these monsters essentially that look almost like spirits and they're black um like dark shadows and they attack everyone when they're not in the light so as soon as any as soon as you go into the shadow and you're not surrounded by fire light um because obviously Merlin doesn't have uh electricity um you die you become this cold dead corpse um it reminded me so much of that and um yeah i i wish i could remember what they're called i'm trying to look it up and I am uh, not succeeding. <laughs> it's there. It's a two-part episode. Um, at the very end, I think it's like season five or whatever the last season, the second last season was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like it's. There's such good episodes. I think that they're easily one of two of my favorite episodes in the entire series. But it's so scary <laughs> because that's like the thing is darkness, and it's the same thing in this book darkness is one of the scariest things i think Mm -hmm. like i think anyone who says they're not scared of the dark is lying on some level like even if it's just a twinge of like fear of the unknown not all out like a phobia of darkness necessarily but like it's uh, you don't you can't see around yourself it's very scary um so monsters that come from the dark and feed off the dark i think are some of the scariest monsters that you can into any work of fiction yeah um 
Yeah. The dark is terrifying. I'm trying to find them. I don't see anything. There was something maybe in the first episode of season four. No, it would have been... Well, maybe it was... Were there only five seasons of Merlin? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. I really thought that there were six seasons. Okay. Um... So it's the very last two episodes then. Oh, maybe it's not the last two episodes. I think it's the huh? first two. I'm not going to lie. I think oh, it's the first two. Oh, my gosh. So this is the problem when you binge watch shows all the time like this, where you just don't know where one season ends and one season begins. Yeah. The Darkest Hour, part one and part two. That's it. Yep. Okay. Maybe they didn't have names for them. I'm Maybe it was looking... just, they just say hellish creatures. Yeah. That's it. Invisible ghosts that begin to attack the kingdom. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's even scarier to not have a name for them. Yeah. Oh, uh, Merlin appears to have a fatal encounter with one of the Daroka. Ah, Daroka. That's Daraka. it. Daroka. Ha! IMDb to the rescue. Thank you, IMDb. I thought that they had names. Yeah, Wikipedia yeah, so didn't give us any information. Okay, well, at least we solved that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but th- that's fair. I think that's a good comparison. If I remembered season four, I would be more enthusiastic about it. But I've honestly only watched season four and five, like, once. Um, and I've watched season one and two, like, 17 times. So I'm much more really familiar like with the season, earlier seasons. Season four I, I really like. I don't know why. I think it's because it feels like it's, like, season one and two, you get the comedy. Season four and five, you get more of the drama part. Um. That's fair. I I can't remember if it was four or five where I, like, fell out of it for a really long time, and it took me forever to get back into the show. Um, Mm. It might have been, it might have been four. But, like, in the middle somewhere, I think I got lost, and I just got really disinterested with Merlin, and it took me a long time to come back, and then I was, like, pissed about the ending, as everyone was. Um... (laughs) But except that we all saw it coming. That's what's so stupid. We're all like, no, and then like, <laughs> that's exactly what was gonna happen. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I had Hattie to keep me up to date with all of those episodes, which was good because I'm fair. not good at keeping up to date with TV shows. I don't. I'm trying to think when I I don't think I watched it till college for the first time. Hmm. Maybe first year you in New York. You missed out on having to wait for the episodes. Yeah, then... I never had to do that. I've only ever watched it on Netflix. I need to do a full rewatch of Merlin, but I need to get back into a TV mood. I've been into reading too much lately. Um, but, again, neither neither here nor there. Okay, so the Duraka or the pop mm-hmm. culture reference. That was, that was my pop culture for Chapter 4. Okay. Um, I know you were kind of talking about this with, like, the secret surveillance stuff that like, doesn't get reported, but, like, may get dealt with on the sly for, like, Fahrenheit 451, um, I was getting Order of the Phoenix vibes. Like, the fact that Fudge kept covering everything up because he didn't want the public to even have a clue Mm -hmm. that Voldemort might be back, and then the Order of the Phoenix was, like, secretly trying to clean all of this stuff up to make sure that, like, people were staying safe, even though... No one was actually safe because Voldemort was bad. Yeah. Um, so that's my obligatory Harry Potter reference. 
and then love that Kate just, like, swipes the access to her dad's info without a true care in the world. Reminds me of Veronica Mars in early seasons. Um, because she always felt entitled to any information she wanted and was more than willing to steal and snoop for it, even though she should have just minded her own business. <laughs> probably. And then, uh, I know I made this reference last week, and I will probably continue to make this reference every week, but Harker is just giving me such strong Anderson vibes. And I, (laughs) it's just like powerful man with too much control. And with manipulative life lessons for small children. Like, it's just, ah, like keeping, doing everything to keep a child from having weaknesses, refusing to expose his own, like, it's just Anderson through and through. I don't think he's as cruel as Anderson, but... Anderson vibes, for sure. Also, like, Aaron, I'm not sure if Kate likes her dad or not. Like, it's not clear. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like she almost fears him more than she looks up to him. Like, right. It's this need to make him proud more mm-hmm. than it is to, like, like, out of fear than it is to make him proud because she loves him. Right. Which, again, that's a lot like Aaron when we first meet him. Yeah. So... Maybe I'll stop making Shatter Me references. No, keep going. I'm proud of you. I like this. (laughs) Okay. And last but not least, chapter five. Yes. I have one very, very minor one. Okay. And that is because of Colin. (laughs) Um, I don't know why my mind immediately went to the Fallen series, which I think you watched the movie adaptation with me. Probably. Um, about angels who fall to earth um and this girl continuous like she's just like she's always dying and then being rebirthed um Mm. and always finds her way to the angels or well fallen angels not really i think we watched that in my apartment after a lot of wine (laughs) we did (laughs) but uh, not a huge reference to it but it for some reason colin and his like giddiness to help out and, like, just very forwardness mm-hmm. reminded me a lot of Penn, who is this just innocent girl at the academy that um, the protagonist is sent to, just like August, um, and who just instantly becomes the, the best friend character. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I guess, hoping that Colin becomes, like, a good friend character to, character to kind of keep August tethered mm-hmm. somehow um so maybe that's me just hoping that he turns into pen <laughs> i don't know fair because <laughs> pen is such a good character um easily one of my favorite side characters and it, it's not a good series at all i'm sorry nobody read fallen except when you're reading for pen <laughs> um yeah that was my my reference okay i have i have a few um <laughs> a lot of tv ones so apologies for that uh but like immediately when I was taking my notes for this I put down the question for this chapter I'm like who the hell would read Plato on the subway that's ridiculous (laughs) and then immediately I was like just kidding I know who would read Plato on the subway Rory fucking Gilmore yeah (laughs) 
like 100% Rory Gilmore would be reading Plato on the subway. August is Rory Gilmore, question mark? Maybe. We have to ask Amy Sherman <laughs> Palatino. <laughs> um, I also, okay, so this is, this is going to be a hard one to explain without spoiling. So I'm going to do my best. Um, and full just like disclaimer I think I'm seeing the similarities just because both of these books were written by Victoria Schwab (laughs) um but August's like confession ability where like people will just come up to him and start saying things right is not the same ability but very reminiscent of this character Henry in The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. He has this situation going on where he's basically a person that, like, other people are drawn to and they just, like, tell him things. They're like, oh, you remind me of, like, my brother who I haven't talked to in 15 years. It's so nice to meet you. Or, wow, you just are... You seem like the kind of guy that, like, I would want to marry. Like, they'll just say these things to him out of nowhere. And, like, the situations are very different, having read both books. But the way that she describes it, because it's the same author, felt very similar. Mm -hmm. So, I love Abby LaRue. (laughs) Such a good book. I hate to read it. I don't know that you'll like it, but I want you to read it anyways. <laughs> it's I'll just, read it to say I read it. It's very character-driven. There's not a lot of plot, and it's a lot of pages. But it's really pretty. So if you can just, like, go into it with the expectation that it is not a plot-driven book, and it's just very pretty to read, I think you'll be okay. Just okay. but and I've said this to you like nine hundred times, I'm sure, at this point. Um, okay, and this is a very dumb reference, but similar to the secret tunnel thing, there are certain things that happen where like I get crazy weird triggers to like childhood memories whenever something happens in a book. Picture day is one of those things. Um, like when they're taking <laughs> pictures for ID cards. So I immediately, upon reading that, was transported back to like nine or ten year old Chantel watching Lizzie McGuire when they had the picture day episode and Gordo is like freaking out about what he's gonna do for his picture because all of the boys in school are telling him not to smile and the lady is telling him to smile and he doesn't know if he should cave into the peer pressure Aww. and smile or not in his picture. <laughs> and it's a good one. It's a much sweeter situation than this, yeah. but like every picture day I'm just reminded of Gordo and whether or not to I smile. I loved Gordo. Same. I loved Gordo. So good. Lizzie McGuire is such a great show. It was. Um, the the mass rush of freshmen in the hallway that, like, they're having difficulties navigating through, but then Colin and um, uh, August, like, take a back route to, like, cut around it. Two things. The first one it reminds me of is the scene in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, the movie, when Ron and Harry are, like, standing oh above <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> laughing. And then McGonagall's like, go to potions, you 
dumb idiots. Um, but it also reminds me of High School Musical when, like, Troy and Gabriella would run through the back hallways and then go to their little, like, oh secret spot. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> to escape the rush of people. Very different. Very different. <laughs> But what can you do? Um, August's, like, the discordant symphony thing where he tries to, like, parse out the different, like, strains of conversation reminds me of the Second Society... No. The Secret Society of Second Born Royals, which is a Disney Plus movie that is not good. Um, But one of the girls has this, like, ability to, like, manipulate senses and so to like practice and hone in on her ability she has to listen to a lot of discordant music and then try to like parse out the different sounds um so it reminded me of that and then hear me out on this one kate is gujimpyo <laughs> okay why because she walks into the school, everyone stares at her, they part around her like a sea, but they're always close enough because they're interested in what she's going to do, but they're also terrified of her. Yeah, except they have very different reputations. Do they? He's pretty cruel. Uh, but I feel like everybody kind of is in love with him at the same time. Right, but that's because he's Kaibo, like he's Korean royalty, basically. They don't know whether or not to be in love with her yet, but they revere her because she's Northside royalty, because she's Harker's daughter. Okay. I'm still good. I like it. I like it. (laughs) That's all I had. Very good. MVPs? MVPs. I'll let you go first. Okay. First last time. I don't remember. Um, my MVP is going to be Paris because I love a crazy old blind woman with no fear. (laughs) (laughs) Like, she does not worry about whether or not she's going to be caught being a spy. Um, she, even though she, like, knows about whatever August's music means, she's still like, yeah, I want to listen to it. And he's like, no, no, that's never going to happen. But she's like, I'm curious. Like, I want to I want to get into this. And she just seems like this crazy old woman. And I just think she's a lot of fun. And um, without her having this, like, safe house and, like, tunnel entrance, August wouldn't even be able to go spy on Kate. So she's a huge part of the plot. <laughs> that is true. I appreciate that. I'm going to give it to August. Okay. Because, like, if it was just because of one thing, it's that whole introduction to Colin where he's like, but you can call me Freddy. Except <laughs> no one actually calls me Freddy, but it's fine. I just love that so much. I really, like, appreciate the little humor there. Yeah. But just also, in general, he's going through a lot. Like, he is taking on a lot. And the fact that he like, doesn't really realize what he's getting himself into until he's there just, like, proves how much he's really wanted to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still goes through with it. He doesn't back out. He's He, you know, kind of pushes his shoulder back, shoulders back and says, okay, let's just do this. Right. Um, that takes a... He's been holed up for how long now? Yeah. I can't imagine what he's going through. 
Right. Um, so I just say good for him. He's my MVP. Love it. He's a great choice. I fully support. <laughs> okay. Wine review, Julia. All right. This is like, this section is like, I would say a Loire Belly Sauvignon Blanc. It has a long finish, as in it takes a long time to get through this. Like, they took so long to get to the school. Mm-hmm. But it, there are a lot of complexities to it. There's a lot of information to take in, and there's, like, a lot of aromas going on. There's, it's not just your standard Sauvignon Blanc, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, there's a bit of acidity to it we get with, you know, Kate's <laughs> watching this video. Yeah. Just casually on her school commute. Right. Uh, but you also have a softness to it, which is from um, August. And I feel like that's going to become a theme with my wine reviews, is that that kind of contradiction of softness to the mm-hmm. harshness. Um, but I would say it's probably like around an 8 out of 10. Nice. So not a standard Sophia Block, but still good. Can, can I offer an alternate... Uh alcoholic suggestion yes of course um not wine at all but especially (laughs) like the back and forth in the writing style of these chapters and the fact that we had like kate then august then kate then august um reminded me and i know you haven't had these but of like taking a pickleback shot oh my god (laughs) okay because like you i mean so separate from the acidity and like wine because that's like I mean, I know pickle juice is really acidic, but, like, that's a different kind of acidity, right? But you have, like, you take a shot of whiskey, and it burns, and that's Kate, right? Like, she Mm -hmm. burns on the way down. You're like, this girl is intense. Um, But then you have the pickle juice that you drink right after it, and it just cancels and mellows everything out, and that's August. Oh, I like that. Now I need to have a... What it was it called? A pickleback. Can we do now those when I'm back. visiting in New York? I'm taking sure. you to get pick. We're gonna go. We gotta go down to the East Village, and we're gonna okay. do pickleback shots. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, I know the perfect place. I know exactly where we're going. Um, oh God, I don't know why I disagree too, but okay. You'll have fun. I promise. It'll be great. <laughs> okay, so for my wine review corner kate has no whining because she shows no emotion in either of her chapters at all um august (laughs) like she if i was just reading kate it would be opposite it would be yeah like a negative five out of ten because i don't think she's capable of knowing what whining is like she scares me um august on the other hand has that he's a soft boy. He has so much anxiety. <laughs> like, so much anxiety, this poor boy. And, like, he has his little panic attack. He doesn't know how to talk to all the different kids. He freaks out about the picture. Like, a lot of these things, um, unfortunately, are a little unnecessary because his, his parents 100% could have socialized him a little bit better to prepare him for everything so it's just unfortunate like how much anxiety this poor boy goes through so i'm gonna give it a a higher a seven out of ten okay yeah so i'm gonna gonna go seven out of ten for poor august's anxiety (laughs) 
poor August. I relate to it. it, But it is very teen, right? It's like teen anxiety about starting a new school. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it, Julia. All right. We did it. We've reached the end. We've reached the end. Um... Everyone should, of course, follow us on social media to stay updated with what we're doing. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unnecessary Angst Pod and on Twitter at UnAngstPod. We have actually started posting things on Instagram. You can find more information about us on our Instagram. We posted some little cute bios on there. Well, Julia posted some really cute bios on there. Um, and you can also email us if you want to talk about the book, any of V.E. Schwab's other books, books that we've read in the past, books that you think we should read in the future. You can email us to discuss further at unnecessaryinkspod at gmail.com because we would love to hear from you and talk to you. And with that, we will let you all go and hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Talk to you later, Yay. everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.